we're glad you're here. Um, we're going through our new Advent series, The Long-Awaited One. And it's so important for us to take time, um, not just this season, but as believers, because we live in this world that bombards us with all the things that says we need, things that will fulfill us, things that will give us life, or things that will help us get through the next year, like those sales. I woke up on Friday morning, and I had 30 emails with all these things that was going to enhance my life. You know what I'm talking about, right? It took me five minutes and a finger cramp to delete all of those emails that would promise me a better life. Things that this season is really culturally about, which is stuff. Temporary things that are going to be good for me, Nick Hill, because it was personalized emails, right? And so we are going into this Advent series looking forward and waiting for the long-awaited one, which is Jesus Christ. When you came in, you probably saw a booklet in the seats around you. Um, We have those there because we want you to take one home. You need at least one for your household. Um, It's a devotional, some for you to do as a family, as an individual, with your friends, um, to really help focus our hearts on what this, this time of the year is for, but who God is and what His Word says to be true. Um, especially in this time where we are bombarded by things that are false. And so we want you to take one of these home. Um, There are more at the back by the brown box if you do need extra. And there's a few things I want you to know about it. One, the very first page has all of our December times, uh, so our Christmas Eve service. And then the Sunday right before New Year's has a little bit different time as well, along with child care. So we want you to be aware of that, and you'll have this. The other part of this is there are devotionals, Old Testament, New Testament readings, and a song for you to come together with your family once a week and pray and sing and declare what is actually true, what is actually good for you and what will actually have an eternal impact in your life. Um, The last part of this is we uh, are providing a digital copy this year, which is new. So if you're part of our Solid Rock newsletter, it went out this past week. You would have been able to actually download this. If you are not on that newsletter and would like to be, then you can go to srchurch.tv and at the top you can subscribe to the subscribe to the newsletter. It has our sermons, the summaries, the scriptural references, upcoming dates, and other information, things like that. But it'll also have this digital copy in there for you as well. So if you take this home and you lose it or forgot it, it's okay. We've got more. And so we want you to have this, and there's notes in here so you can bring this in each week as well. And so we have just come out of this uh, series of uh, the people of God, and it was really just an amazing way to go through the whole Bible, basically, looking at how God is using different people for his story of redemption. And so we see um, people who are strong in their faith. We see people who are weak in their faith. We see people from different cultures, ethnicities, um, different stages of life. And it doesn't matter. The only consistent part of this series was that God is who he says he is. And that God is faithful, even we are not. And so when we start this Advent series and we look at this long-awaited one, we're looking at the lineage of Jesus and coming off the series of the people of God, it's really helpful because we've been doing that for the better part of the year. But I want us to think about this going back from creation just to help us understand something. When God created in Genesis 1, He created everything and it was good. He created male, female. He created them most importantly in His image. And there was this shalom, this peace. 
this, this part of this universal harmony and wholeness of God's creation and mankind. And it was wonderful. It was good. And we know the story. We know that in Genesis 3 that um, Adam and Eve broke God's, God's command and ate of the tree. Um, we know that Satan deceived them as the serpent. And we see this brokenness that comes over this shalom, this peace that we were created in, this thing that God created that was good. We see the image we were created in was marred. And so in Genesis 3 is when we see that we are quickly destroying ourselves. And I want us to turn to Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 14 and 15, because very quickly, God already has everything lined out. And when I say quickly, it's not because he was trying to figure it out. God's sovereign. He knows. But we see very quickly in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, what God has in store for man and for Satan and for himself. Verse 14 says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. We have this beginning that is unfolding what is going to be happening throughout history is that God is taking the seed of the woman and through that we will receive salvation. Through that our Redeemer, our Messiah will come. But we also see that there is going to be enmity, this curse, this tension that is happening between Satan that he is trying to overtake and that he was trying to keep this lineage from happening. That he's going to do everything he can to stop that. So although Satan was successful in bringing this curse upon us through Adam and Eve and all of their offspring, nonetheless, God's promise of the seed from the woman um, and his deliverance is going to be Satan's destruction in the end. As recorded in the Old Testament and New Testament, Israel's history as a nation, as God's people, bears testimony to the outworking of God's promise of salvation. And throughout all of this, we see the people of God turning to temporary things over and over and over again. And we see this attack on the lineage of Jesus, this, this promised seed that is coming. We see him being attacked through infertility, through economic downfalls, through foreign governments coming in and taking over. We see it happening um, when uh, there's disbelief and unfaithfulness happening. We see the prayer and the hard work. We see all these things unfolding throughout the Old Testament. And we also see this pushback against the lineage of Christ, this enmity, this conflict that ensues. But what I love is that God's response is His consistent love for us and His well-being and His our well-being and His glory that He is looking towards. So from Genesis 3 on, we wait patiently for the one that will conquer sin and death and crush the head of the serpent. Uh, from the series, we started in Genesis 17 uh, with Abraham's covenant and looking at verse 7, if you want to look along with me, um, it says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. 
the whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. When God establishes a covenant, he is looking at something that is much more uh, than a temporary thing. He's looking at an eternal thing. God is looking at Abraham and he's making this covenant saying, it's not just for you in this little while. He goes, I'm going to give you an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. I will be your God. When Satan presses back against the lineage of Christ, when Satan presses back throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament in our lives right now, he brings temporary promises of relief, temporary promises of great kingdoms, and temporary promises that only lead to eternal destruction. So even if you look at the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all those, and we see Jacob and his sons having to go to Egypt, why? Because there's a famine. There's no food. You see how there's this press back against the lineage of Christ, but God did what? He raised up Joseph so that there would be plenty for all. But then we see not too long later after that, that Joseph is forgotten with the new Pharaoh. And so what does he do out of fear of Israel? He puts them into slavery. And for 400 years they are enslaved and it doesn't look like there's much going to happen. And we see this um, brutality against the people of God, this, this sinful destruction and suffering that continues to pour out over them. But even in that, God protects one little baby, Moses, to be able to be freed from that, to escape that, so that he may become back to lead his people. More examples of this is the Philistines that brought uh, different foreign gods and different cultures to take the hearts of the people away from God. The people continue to look for the temporary to do what only God can do eternally. What's really interesting is that when you look at that statement, I will be their God and you will be my people. There are some variations of it, but throughout scripture, there's over like 43 references where God reminds us that he is our God and we will be his people. The false lies that come from Satan in this tension that we are bombarded with. He is constantly reminding us who he is, his faithfulness, his character, his plan, his covenant. And so for 43 times, Old Testament, New Testament, we see God reminding the people that I will be your God and you will be my people. We see in passages like in Isaiah 7 and 9, you can look at those references later, where the coming Messiah gets more specific, more descriptive, that his name shall be called Emmanuel, that will be born of a virgin. And so we see the seed and the lineage of Christ become narrower and narrower, and we're becoming closer and closer to this day that is coming. In Luke 1, verse 30, if you have an opportunity, you can turn there with me as well. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. You see that continuation of Jacob, but then also what is God's promise? It's an eternal kingdom, an eternal kingdom to be a part of. 
We're so familiar with the stories of Scripture, and we often look at them as just these individualistic things, but when we look at them connected as a whole, it becomes so much more powerful, so much more impactful for us. Because if you think about the lineage of Christ and how Satan has pressed back against that over and over and over again throughout Scripture, we even see, even after Christ has come, even after he is born, he's a little tiny baby in the manger, and we have that little scene in our head, right? For most of us, it's the little plastic nativity scene that you brought out every year from the, the attic. You know what I'm talking about? No? Okay, just me. Um, you have this little scene in your head, and you know that they had to go through all these different things, the census, and they were born in Bethlehem. All of these promises, all of these prophecies are being fulfilled. And then we see Herod afraid of the king of kings. When did we see fear before? We saw that with Pharaoh. What did he do? He persecuted and he crushed the people. He persecuted and he crushed the people. And so here we see the, the wise men let him know, hey, we have this king, this Messiah that's coming. And he wants nothing to do with it. And after he finds out he's deceived by this in Matthew, you can read, he, he decides and puts out a decree that all the young boys should be killed. Think about that for a moment. We're talking about a genocide of young boys because of this fear of the coming king. That's not a little thing. That's something we read about every year. But think about the, the magnitude of what we're talking about. That's not something you do for an average baby, right? You don't fear an average baby. You fear the king of kings and what he can do. And Jesus, not just being this frail baby, he has been from the beginning. He is the word and the word has been with us since the beginning. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Godhead. So this continued attack on the coming Christ uh, through Herod killing the, uh, the small boys. Matthew 2 is where that's located. Satan and his minions uh, trying to trip Jesus up through temptation in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 16, we even see that Jesus has to rebuke his disciples for speaking on behalf of Satan, right? And we see this pressing back, trying to keep the, the Savior from coming, from being born. Not only that, we're seeing this press back that we don't want him to complete his ministry here on earth. But Christ willingly lays down his life for you and I to sacrificially give himself up so that you and I may have salvation through him. That his death, burial, and resurrection is made available to us, defeating the curse that was brought upon in Genesis 3. And we saw back in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, this lineage that is laid out, this seed, the thing that will crush the head of Satan. Now Satan, although looks like he had victory by killing Christ on the cross, it was only temporary. Because on the third day he rose again defeating sin and death. And we live in this tension of already but not yet where you and I still experience this broken and fallen world. And you hear us talking about that a long time. And you see how Satan is pressing back against Christ and his lineage and his ministry. And it shouldn't surprise us that he will attack and bring that against us as well as believers in Christ. We see that in our marriages. We see that in our parenting when we lose loved ones, our jobs. Um, Satan has these small victories in our life. But for those who are sealed, for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who have been adopted into this eternal kingdom, to be part of this new lineage, he can never have the battle for your soul and win. 
So often, thinking about temporary things, we look, and even Israel looked for a king in the Old Testament, right? And we look for things that we think will satisfy or bring about um, peace or what we think this eternal kingdom would look like. And so we start substituting things in there, like if I had more time or if I had less stuff or if I had this, this, or this. And we start trying to substitute that. Not one person, not one thing, not one email deal that you can click on will ever satisfy what you and I actually need, which is a transformed heart. That's why it was so important for Christ to protect that lineage, for the Savior to come, Emmanuel, God with us. To not only that, to sustain him throughout his earthly ministry to the point of death on the cross and resurrection to new life. In Colossians 2, verse 13, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of your trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So at a time in this tension, they thought putting Christ to death would bring about what they needed, right? Peace or more things for themselves. But what they meant for evil, we see Christ turning it for good, that he disarmed the rulers and authorities. The cross was one of the most shameful ways to die naked in front of family and friends. But in verse 15 it says, he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So Jesus came in incarnate as a young child, born of a virgin, a part of the seed that God promised. But there's a new day that is coming, a glorious day. We just finished singing about it. See, we're not looking forward to just a new baby. We are looking for a coming king. And if you think about the story of nativity or of Christmas, we have the baby kind of locked in there, right? Like we know what that looks like. We see it. Our children do the plays on it. You may even have adult Jesus in your mind, Jesus on the cross, Jesus outside of the empty tomb. But what we really need to be focused on, church, is that he is coming again as a king. He is coming again as a king. If you look in Revelations 19, 15, this is the description of who he is. It says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty, verse 16, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the coming king. Revelations 21 talks about what this new kingdom will look like. In verse 1 it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city and new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Do you remember we talked about the 43 references? I will be your God, and you will be my people. This is the culmination of it happening. This is 
all of it coming to one place. Verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. See, on the cross, his mission was completed, and he says it is finished, but at this point, it is done. All of those things, all of those tensions, all of that press back, it will be wiped away no more. And God being who he is, church, it is not a little thing. God being who he is still holds that I will be your God and you will be my people. That is not a little covenant because we need to understand that he has been faithful in this covenant, renewing it, reiterating it, reminding of us. In his steadfast love, he has been faithful and true. That's why he says, write these words down. They are trustworthy and true. You and I are not. And sometimes I think that makes it really hard for us to believe that someone can be that trustworthy and true. That someone can actually love me with no strings attached or not say, I finally, I'm done with you. I give up. But we look at this and this is why we have hope that when he says, I'm coming again, he means it. And when he comes again, it is done. The hope of the Christian is that he will return quickly and in his glory. Advent is actually about us slowing down and patiently being watchful to prepare ourselves for the coming kingdom. Our hearts being transformed through that infant Savior growing into a man, being obedient unto death, burial and resurrection. But now, as believers, we have joyful anticipation of the coming glory as the bride for our bridegroom. And real hope is not a wish, but is confidence and certainty. Advent is a time we are to be reminded of the certainty that Jesus entered the world to die on the cross for our sins. And of his return to establish the kingdom of God in our midst. It is the assurance of that hope upon which we stand we worship, serve, and live. Not because I said it. Not because of anything you and I could do. Because of who he is. It is a trustworthy and true thing that he said. Heaven also promises hope and forgiveness for those who place their faith in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've said or what you've done. Nothing can outpower God's gospel. I'm reminded of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. Will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And with the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earthworks are done and will be exposed.
the point he's really pressing in here is that we don't know when it's going to happen. That's not the point that we need to focus on. The point is he will return. And it should drive us. It should drive us to take every moment captive for the Lord. For every moment that you can spend and instill the gospel into your life, into your family, into your kids, into your loved ones, your neighbors. It should drive us to be missionally minded every day, knowing that God will come. He's going to come, but he's coming as king of kings. And when he comes, it is done. I'm going to call the worship team back on up. One of the purposes of scriptures is it gives us a picture. Uh, it gives us an, uh, a clear understanding of who God is, but it also reminds us. It reminds us over and over and over again. Thank you, brother. 66 books, all these different writers, all this different time. It's one story that is unified in the story of redemption. <clears throat> I don't know where you are in your faith, in your life. I don't know if you're wrapped up in the, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Did not go together. <laughs> But thank you. <clears throat> the point is God does know. And the point is, is God is trustworthy. He is faithful. And if he's made a way through the gospel for you to have faith and believe and have your sins covered by his grace. Then today I would ask you to respond. We'll have prayer partners up front. They'll be at the back. Some of our pastors as well. Maybe some of us have been putting our faith and trust in something outside of the coming of Christ. And that's not a little thing. It is not, because we've just seen throughout Scripture, God has been pointing us to the second coming. And He is not asking us to live as if the second coming may or may not happen, or that it may or may not be a big deal. He's saying it is a big deal. It is a big deal right now. We don't know if it will be a year, a hundred years, or a thousand years. That's not the point. The point is He is coming. So let's pray and let's respond. Father, we love you. And God, we don't deserve to be your people. But God, your purpose, your glory, what you are trying to do, God, may we graciously accept it because of who you are, because of what you've done, and Father, what you are faithful to continue to do. Lord, we don't pretend to understand each and every person's stance or place in this life right now, but we know we are all desperately in need of you. So, Father, however that is, I pray that your spirit would move and guide and direct, that we'd be faithful to respond to this. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.